Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. You know, there are few fish, if any, more historically scorned in the U.S. than the carp. Common carp, grass carp, and the more recently introduced silver and Asian carp all seem to kind of get lumped into the same category in the U.S. of just carp. It's just one group of scorned and hated and largely despised species of fish that has essentially been written off by the American angler. And yet globally, there's arguably no more popular freshwater fish on the planet. When you look at the species across all continents, the carp is perhaps the single most pursued freshwater fish on the planet. But despite its contempt in the U.S., in the ever-evolving climate of freshwater fishing, the common carp is growing exponentially in its popularity among multi-species anglers. And my guest today is my good friend, Austin Anderson. Austin, despite being young in his years, is very, very experienced and accomplished on the home front carp scene. You would be hard-pressed to find a more accomplished carp and buffalo angler in the U.S. I started following Austin over a decade ago when I was doing my own personal research into buffalo suckers. Buffalo are a native doppelganger of the common carp, and unfortunately, by way of convergent evolution, they have fallen victim to simply looking too much like common carp. And so they, too, have fallen to the same sort of persecution and ignorant culling and killing practices because of being falsely identified as carp. But when you start to do any kind of research or looking online into photos of buffalo, you'll find that the Internet is saturated with photos of a young Austin Anderson holding these colossal, monstrous buffalo. Austin deploys European angling tactics for our native buffalo and non-native carp alike. In 2022, I had the privilege of fishing with Austin, where I got to see his experience firsthand. Josh Dolan and I teamed up with Austin, and we caught over a dozen fish with an average weight over 40 pounds, including one that was over 50 and even a 60-pound monstrous smallmouth buffalo. That experience was really just confirmation for me that Austin clearly has an expertise in this fishing. He knows what he's doing, and the guy is the real deal. He's an absolute tactician and a specialist of this kind of fishing and of these species of fish. And I can't think of a better person to bring onto this program to be the spokesperson of this growing culture of fishing. This is Austin Anderson of Carp Pro Texas Guide Service. Jump into it. Look. All right, Austin. Glad I got to got, glad I got to get you on here. So, welcome. Hope you've been all right. How's the new year going? It's going good. Thanks, David. I, um, I see. I see you've been uh, doing a little bit more of the bass thing lately, but you got to be getting close to like 
getting back into the carp and buffalo yeah, scene. Yeah, for sure. So I have another bass tournament coming up next weekend. And then after that, I'm pretty much carp trips from there on out. Um, I got you. At least until May or so. That's when I'll slow down again. But this Are time these, of the uh... year, our weather is just so variable. So we yeah. get, you know, it can either be freezing cold or it's like, like it is today is 75 and sunny. So the fishing has been really just up and down, up and down. I've been out a few times carp fishing, but I just haven't been doing that well. But right. I'm sure, you know, they're going to start making that push for the spawn soon. Are these uh, guided trips you have coming up? You got some clients coming yeah, in? Or so you just... I, I have this first one I have coming up is February 6th through 10th. And that's going to be a, a really good trip. That's a guided trip. And I'm uh, going to try to get out maybe the weekend before that or something just to do some pre-fishing. Yeah. So I definitely wanted to like, I, I know that's a big thing I want to dive into. Not quite yet though. Like your experience, like the, like your guide trips, because I have had the pleasure of being on one and definitely. I like, I still tell everybody it's, it's like one of the coolest experiences that I've ever had, especially cause like my expectations, like we've known each other for a while for sure. and I'm like, and I got like, it was like the realization that your stuff wasn't bullshit. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, Oh my gosh, this, this dude is the real deal. But well, we're going to get into that a little bit. So for people listening, my guest today is Austin Anderson, and his specialty is carp and buffalo. But, like, not just going out and catching them. Like, the ones that you get are so preposterously big, and you've been doing it for so long, even though you're a young guy. I'm talking about we go back over a decade of me That's seeing cool. you, you know, countless numbers of these gigantic carp and buffalo every single year and i have to sit there enviously watching you be like oh my gosh look at what this guy's hauling but i'm always curious and this is kind of in the tone of this podcast so far is like the origins of the angler you know what i mean like yeah. i'm always curious when i see somebody that's reached a high level i'm like that's awesome where you've gotten but like i'm always interested in knowing like where you came from so for you you do something that i feel is like really unique not a lot of people out there doing it not a lot of people out there doing it at the level you're doing it. Like you're very accomplished. Like, but I'm curious, like how, like how did the carp thing and Buffalo begin? I mean, I guess we're going to kind of tie them two together. It's sort of like hand in hand, but I'm, I'm curious like where that all began for you. Definitely. So I grew up in Dallas and the Dallas area I've learned from living in a lot of other places. The Dallas area is just insanely rich in, fishing spots especially just urban fishing spots that are cool and have good depth and there's just fish everywhere no matter where you look and there's a lot of fishing opportunities but there's only you know a few species that get really big around that area uh one of them blue catfish alligator gar but yeah, yeah. the real the really big misunderstood ones are the smallmouth buffalo and common carp so I started out just as a, you know, normal kid, bass fishing ponds, buying baits and rods and stuff at Walmart, going down to the pond and just, you know, making a few casts, trying to catch some bass. And in my process of doing that, I kind of got into other avenues of fishing, fly fishing, um, fishing for catfish, you know, with the rod holders and big circle hooks and stuff. And through that, I kind of figured out carp and buffalo were a thing. Yeah, And they just fascinated me. I mean, the whole, I remember when I was, this is probably my earliest memory of like doing any sort of carp fishing related past. 
is I, I would always in elementary school, I would always go into the library and check this one book out. And it had like, it wasn't especially carp fishing, but it had a bunch of like, say like match fishing tactics from the, the UK, like yeah. how to fish with a feeder and like how to fish with maggots and worms and stuff, catching like tench and rud and brim and all kinds of fish like that. And carp, there was some stuff on carp fishing in there. And I remember all those little inventions they had, like the, the bite alarms and the feeders and stuff, all that just intrigued the crap out of me. Like yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I had no way of like, you know, seeing this stuff in person because I didn't know that, you know, the internet existed back then and all that stuff. So I, I just kept checking this book out and I would make little, you know, feeders and stuff like that, just trying to imitate that kind of fishing. And it took me a few years to catch my first buffalo, I think. And in that process, I stumbled onto a website called Texas Fishing Forum. And that's that's a huge resource. It, right. it doesn't matter where you fish, you've probably come up with the TFF in some kind of search result because people have talked about so many great, you know, fishing tips, locations, all sorts of stuff throughout the yeah. 15 plus years that forum's been there. So I found it on Google. And that pretty much set it on fire for me. I was just, you know, making, I me, I remember I made my own rod pod and I was, <laughs> I was like making, making stuff out of like uh, gardening tools. I was about to say, like, how, how high end did that thing look? Uh, not high end at all, obviously, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, I had, didn't have a lot of money to work with back then. Um, but I, I just, you know, kind of got into it the old fashioned way, mm-hmm. but the more and more I got into it, the just the cooler those fish seemed to me. I was still fishing, you know, spring rod holders and six foot uh, Zebcos in the air uh, with a Carolina rig and like two pieces of sweet corn. And right, I remember right. I caught my first 20, like my first 20 pound carp doing that. I used to fish at this little canal behind my house and I had like stone on the sides and people would like throw bread in the water for the the ducks and the carp would eat it. Yeah. Yeah. And I caught a 20 pound carp out of there. And I remember like, you know, sitting back on the bank, just kind of chilling with some friends and seeing that rod just bend over and just that drag singing. <laughs> I yeah. I never looked back at that point. That was just like, it's, it, it's funny when you paint those mental images because I like, there's some fish that I, I don't remember like what my first encounter with them was, but I very vividly remember the first time that I saw a carp and Definitely. it was the same I thing. I think a it lot was, of people would say the same. Yeah, it was in an urban setting. I was probably about 11 years old. That was around the time I really started venturing off on my own just to go fishing. I wasn't just going to screw around yeah. and we lived on a golf course in Oklahoma. So we would go like in the evenings when the golf course was kind of shutting down and, and we weren't going to be pestering people. We, you know, we just hop our fence and be on the fairway and we, or we, you know, ride our bikes or we take off running with a bunch of fishing gear to these golf course ponds and they were loaded with bass. And that was like, that was like the perfect little arena for me to develop as an angler. Cause they were just, it was so obnoxiously full of bass. They were so easy to catch. There was like that element of adventure. Cause we're like sneaking past the golf course security. Oh, yeah. It's like, we're kind of doing something maybe we shouldn't be doing. So it's like that, like added to the experience. But I remember how, like, they had, you know, in the golf course ponds, they, they you know, they want to preserve the aesthetics of the pond. It needs to look nice. They don't want it to be overrun with weeds. And so I was fishing along the banks, and I looked down, and I just see 
Like literally the, to me, like in my imagination, you know, I was a small kid, so I probably like blew it up a little bit, but this thing looked as big around as like, as like, like a, like a massive barrel. But I like, I was like, what is that? And I could make out distinct scale pattern on it. I'm like, is that an alligator? Like, you know, I was just an idiot kid. And this scale pattern was so massive and so huge. It didn't it immediately register. This is a fish. And then I see it like slowly moving. And then it like came, I came to the realization its head was like buried in the grass. I just see it like this back, this unbelievably broad, giant, like horrifically giant fish, probably half my body weight, if not more at the time, probably more. And, uh, and it was a grass carp. I came to find yeah. it was a grass carp. You know, they, they had, you know, I had, I ran home and told my brothers what I saw and they kind of explained to me, oh yeah, you know, they put grass carp in there to keep vegetation down. But I couldn't get that out of my mind, this monster fish. And I think for a lot of young people, that's like, I don't know, the allure is always in the big giant fish. But uh, it's funny that you mentioned you ran to the Internet to kind of like seek out information because I feel like the forum days were like the glory days. I'm like going on to like it was the early stages of like social media. But then it was more like social networking. So you can get on like these specialty forums and like you said, and the interesting thing too about like like the carp is, and and I I've always kind of leaned that way. I guess they could get categorized as like a rough fish or yeah, you know a not sure. a not a non game species. And I've always enjoyed that because it's one of those fish where if you look for the information resources, there's not a lot of them there. I mean, if you go and look for bass fishing information, it's everywhere. It's all over. Yeah. They got all kinds of products coming your way. You know the newest technology, the newest this and that. My you get an information overload if you research bass. If you look for ways to catch carp or other rough fish, you're not going to find a lot of groups. You find these sort of small communities, these small fringe groups. But that what I always found, and I think you found this too, is like those little small groups are like the diehard, like passionate ones. So it's like That's even right. though they're, even though the information resources are sparse, they're always like more bang for your buck, and you can always find more information. So that's interesting because I, I was curious, like, well, you know, I wonder how he saw his first one or caught his first one. So you kind of started with like what I think everybody's first steps are is the bread thing. Yeah, definitely. Bread. And that's always like um, born, like things like that. Exactly. And I I wasn't even, even into like chumming a spot at first. I would just go out there and, you know, throw three rods out with just corn and you know, see, see what they're biting, see if they wanted the strawberry corn, the orange corn or the plain. And, uh, I just, you know, from there, you can continue fishing that simply and it, it'll work, but to get the really big ones, I've learned you have to get just very, very in depth and right uh, now that, now that's something I know that you have kind of begun to crack the code. I mean, pretty much cracked the code on, but I'm also curious too, like just just staying in that early phases part of your time as a, as an angler. I know that inevitably, when you first saw carp, became interested in carp, wanted to pursue that. That like, did you encounter like I don't know the pushback that I think comes oh, for with? Sure. Well, you don't want to catch carp because this. I mean, as because so, I'm always curious because I feel like a lot of young guys hit that wall and they stop. Definitely, you know, they just they accept that as truth. So just, um, I'm curious. Like, I've what dealt kind of with pushback. that so much, <laughs> you right, know, yeah. people don't see that side, but I deal with it all the time. Um, 
really my family got me into fishing, but my parents don't really fish much. My, mm-hmm. my dad tried to take me a few times, but the, my grandpa was the one who got me just really immersed in it. They, uh, when I was, I think about seven years old, they bought some property up near Lake Texoma. So I grew up every weekend going up to their, uh, they had about 80 acres up there. And they had a pond on that property. And I was all over that pond fishing almost every single day. There were big catfish and stuff in there. Mm-hmm. But we would also take the boat to Lake Texoma. And I remember all the time just, just seeing buffalo. That buffalo just would cruise up along the bank in that lake. The water's pretty clear. And I remember right. everyone telling me, those are trash fish. You don't want to fish for those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially when I got into kind of more seriously targeting buffalo my dad is the biggest it's the funniest thing but he is he is the biggest naysayer of buffalo and yeah. he, he did, cannot stand that i fish for him and he can't stand that i guide for him full time but i think that's hilarious i mean it, it's not going to stop me but all the time he's telling me why are you fishing for carp like he still just doesn't he doesn't get the, the level that i'm at with right. the carp fishing and he doesn't get that, like how much money people will pay to come over here. And, you know, I know people that want to do their, their own thing and they don't really want to hire a guide and they'll come over here and literally buy an entire set of carp fishing equipment and just go fishing for a couple of weeks or something Oh my and God. Then sell it all and go back. Yeah. I know you that know, culture just... of anglers is like die hard, like as passionate as, as, as any yeah. other group of anglers as there are the, the carp culture is like really a, a, a deep, I don't know. It's a massive whole other underworld of fishing, For but sure. um, and there's many different parts of it. I mean, you got yeah. the, the pay Lakers in several States and right, I yeah. mean, some of them five, six generations of anglers have been going and fishing the same couple of lakes. So you can imagine how just mm-hmm. tight knit they are and how, uh, how much carp fishing runs in their blood. Yeah. So now I know like I'm going to have, you know, some people who listen to this that are from Florida or they're from, I don't know, areas where Buffalo don't exist. So there's going to be people listening that are like, all right, I know what a carp is, but they keep talking about this Buffalo. Like what the hell is Buffalo? I feel like it's like, that's a way it's like one of our hidden treasures in this country. So like, you know, you're and you're kind of like the specialist of that fish, but just explain people what a buffalo is, like what they look like, what family of fish are they in, like just a description of what we're talking about here. Definitely. So everybody knows what a carp looks like, a, a common carp, which are the ones with the whiskers, um, that they're gold in color, uh, orange tail. Pretty much anyone's seen a carp, but buffalo, people will call them other fish you know they'll call them drum or call them carp but the real name is a buffalo there's three different kinds of them there's a small mouth buffalo a big mouth buffalo and a black buffalo they all look pretty similar they all grow over 20 pounds most of them grow you know 60 70 pounds right because that's what i'm some of them grow over 100 right yeah these things top out and that's like i know that's kind of like the easy pitch or the easy sell if you want to kind of like garner people's like interest. Like if you really want to For catch sure. that ear and then fill in the rest of the details, it's like you kind of hit them with that big banger. Like, hey, uh, here's a fish that can get over 100 pounds. What? 
And then yeah. you start hitting them with all the little details. But yeah, so um, it's interesting though. And it's almost kind of sad that they, they, they look like cart, but I'm just curious, like, well, I mean, they look the same. They seem Definitely. like they kind of eat similar things, but like, what's the real difference? So mainly is color. They're, they're gray in color, but also they, they're, it's kind of convergent evolution with carp and buffalo because carp are found, you know, native to Asia and the Middle East. Buffalo are native to the United States. Uh, they go as far west as Arizona, as far north as like Michigan and uh, Minnesota, and then as far east as the Carolinas. They don't really go into Florida as much but definitely Georgia, Mississippi, all the Southern states, and obviously Texas, we have tons of them. They get some of the biggest ones in the world live in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's interesting. And also they're uh, part of the sucker family, which mm-hmm. includes red horses, harp suckers, all these different fish that look kind of like carp, but they're not carp, but Buffalo are the largest members of that family. So they get, you know, they're they're the only one that gets over 40 pounds in the sucker family, which is yeah. really neat. And it's really cool because even as large as buffalo are, their mouth may only be that big at the largest. Sometimes their mouth is the size of a quarter and they're over 50 pounds. It's just amazing. So the way the, that means you have to fish for them a very special way. You have to use very small hooks. It's like no other kind of fishing. You're not setting the hook because their mouths are very rubbery. They they suck bait in on the bottom. So you you can't just cast and mm-hmm. retrieve and catch them. You have to actually like let your bait sit for a very long period of time sometimes. Right. Now that was always kind of the thing that impressed me about that fish. Like, you know, okay, they're big and they're strong, but they sustain that these immense sizes. I mean, when you think about freshwater fish. In North America, it's just like it, it doesn't really register to the common person to see a, a fish that big in fresh water. So, you know, you ask sure. even people who have like dabbled in fishing in fresh water, they could at least rattle off like, well, what are the biggest fish in fresh water? And, and, you know, they might say, oh, well, you know, you got some catfish and um, you got alligator gar and you got sturgeon. But I feel like like the buffalo is consistently the one that gets like sort of forgotten. Definitely. But like they hold their own on that like category of the giant freshwater fish. But what's interesting to me though is like you think about a catfish or you think about an alligator gar. These are large, like big giant animals that are eating large meals. Exactly. But then you've got something like a buffalo that can get 70, 80 pounds, massive giant shoulders, but they're sustaining themselves on these tiny little food sources yeah, tiny, tiny. in the case of a uh, big mouth buffalo they're sustaining themselves just by filter feeding it's yeah, like a, yeah it's just a, it, incredible i don't know how they do it people don't really understand how they feed very much and i think that's part of the reason that they're just there's so little known about them right and people and like me are still trying to figure out exactly you know that how they for feed me and how they work yeah, that for me is where the interest is in the angler lies because when you think about something so big, it's like, okay, well, you know, you just slap on a big old hook, upgrade our gear, exactly, put some 200-pound line on them and a big giant thick gauge hook, and we're going to be able to stop them. But you can't do that with these buffalo. You have to, like, play these supple little lips with this tiny little gear 
but you can't go too small that they overwhelm you with the power. So you're you're playing this real delicate balancing game. And and you'll be the one who can describe this better. But like my experience with you out there was so interesting and seeing like just how dialed in that you have to be on your gear to even know that they're there biting. Something so big and so massive can be on your bait and only give the slightest little indication that they're there. So it's like, it's a really interesting style of, of, of fishing. And I want to go down that way, but I don't want to gloss over this too, because I'm still curious because you're, you're running gear that like most people have never seen before. They don't know where to buy it. At some point, your evolution of an angler took you from throwing corn, throwing bread, dilly dallying around with some basic rigs that you saw in a book. I mean, was there a mentor in your life? Like somebody must have come into the scene and showed you this other world of fishing tackle that, that I don't know if you're ordering it online. I don't know where you get it, but it's like you have opened a whole other world of fishing style that I think exists mostly in other continents and you've brought it here on the U S soil, but it's like, I'm like, I know you, you, I feel like you can't have done it on your own. So do you have like some people that have like, I don't know, come into your life that have been somewhat of a mentor or a coach or helped you develop in, into that like Euro style carp and Buffalo fishing? There's definitely some people, but most of them came along after I already had the Euro gear. A lot of, a lot of the people that, you know, got me to go down that path were people that were on the Texas fishing forum in the carp and rough fish section when I was in middle school, pretty much. I was still doing the kind of fishing corn and trying stuff like that. And I just, I could not get enough of catching the car. I, I had, had been bass fishing and was still bass fishing, you know, rel- relatively frequently, but I just could not get my mind off of carp fishing. So I, uh, I found this website called bank fishing systems. I don't think they're in business anymore, but they had a lot of like cheap imported carp fishing gear, like specific, you know, Euro carp fishing gear at a really good price. I mean, it was very cheap tackle. I will say that because I broke several of their rods. I broke my rod pod. I broke all the alarms that I had. So it was, it was enough to get me started and decide, okay, I want to upgrade my gear and, you know, keep fishing like this Euro style. But it was more like, you know, a crude, (laughs) a crude uh, setup as far as like having three rods and alarms and all that. So I started fishing like that, just kind of going out and I would fish for the day. And this is kind of before YouTube and all that stuff when we made videos. So I couldn't like go out and see people doing this kind of fishing. It was just trial and error on my part, trying to figure out like how to get method mix to pack together. You know, that took me a long time to figure out on my own and how to boil corn, how to do this, that, the other. So I started just posting my, my days fishing out, uh, you know, at a marina or at a park pond or something. I'd post on the TFF and make, like, post my pictures and how I did and what my rigs were and stuff like that. And people started actually reaching out to me and saying, hey, I want to fish with you. Like, come and, come and learn, basically. Yeah, yeah. So I met one, one of my... Uh, really good mentors his name was john newbit he was a english man a match fisherman actually 
Okay. So he actually now what is a match fisherman? What is that? I've heard you say that. I don't, that's know, I don't know what you're talking about. Other world. You have carp fishing and then you have match fishing. They're like two different, you know, two completely different sides of the coin. But they <laughs> fish over there. They fish these tournaments. They call them matches, but it's okay. Okay. A fishing tournament. But they're trying to catch these fish that don't get very big. I say not very big as in like less than 10 pounds. Most of the fish they're fishing for are like a pound to two pounds. But they're trying to catch the most cumulative weight in a certain period, say maybe four hours or six hours. And they put, they put them all in a net, like a keep net that sits in the water. And every fish you catch, you throw in the net. And then at the end, they weigh the whole net and whoever has the heaviest net of fish wins. And they're fishing little tiny hooks. And a lot of the time, they're not even using a rod and reel. They're actually using a pole that has elastic that comes out of the tip. Oh, that's interesting. Really light line, like say two pound or three pound test. And they're relying on that elastic to kind of stretch and the fish not break their line because they're only going for fish that may be like a pound or so. So they're just trying to pull it close enough to get it in the net. But some of these poles, like especially my friend John, John since passed away, but he would go every year in the summertime and fish for, you know, three, four months of just doing matches every weekend. Mm. And one of these poles he had that he was fish for, the fish for these fish with was like 45 feet long. Oh my gosh. And it's like at the end. Where do you pack that thing away at? Do they like segments? I'm saying like, yeah, it's, it's sections and it's like 14 or 15 (laughs) sections. I can barely fit my seven and a half foot rod in the back of my truck. So I'm like, how does it? They're showing up with all of this and it's so (laughs) long that you have to pull out these rollers that it's almost like, like a sawhorse that you would put like wood on to cut it. But, but it has like a roller on the top and he puts like three, four of them out to put the, so he's pulling the pole back to try to land the fish and he has to put it back so far that, you know, there's a roller 20 foot behind him. So it doesn't right, right. break the pole, <laughs> you know, sliding into the brush and then you pop the end off and that's the one you fight the fish on. And then you just pull it into the net. But match fishing, there's such a huge following on it. They do it in a lot of countries. There's even a, a, a U.S. Olympic match fishing team. So it, it's a big deal in a lot of countries, but, it, you know, it's very similar to carp fishing because you use the same sort mm-hmm. of baits. They use a lot of maggots. Um, they use ground bait, which is very similar to the pack bait we use over here. Yeah, they yeah. use a lot of, like, sweet corn, uh, cut-up meat, uh, stuff like that, maggots. So that, you know, as I was talking about that book a while ago, that sort of fishing intrigued me. And I had never actually seen John post on the forum. I had just heard heard of this guy through other people that he was kind of around. Yeah, yeah. So I had posted on the forum, hey, I pre-baited this spot. I'm going to be here all day. If you want to come fish with me, come on by. So I, this was still before I was driving. So my mom, my mom is such a patient person that she, for years, years and years, would take me to ponds and drop me off and then i would call her and say i want to move spots and she would move me somewhere else (laughs) and then that evolved into showing up at a pond and unloading like you know enough gear to sit there for three days and i'm only sitting there for maybe three four hours (laughs) with the carp fishing because it takes so much gear right but i remember my mom dropped me off and pretty much left me out at this marina 
And then I see this car drive up and I'm like, who the heck is this? And it's John. And John just gets out of his car. He's like, hello. Like, you know, very, he, he's from Northern England. So very, very British accent. He, he sound, sounds, you know, very proper. Uh, he's a big guy. So I, I, you know, it could be a very intimidating encounter if he hadn't been such a nice guy and so helpful and wanted to get me into, you know, carp fishing the way it's supposed to be done. So he taught me a lot of things, rigs and baits and all sorts of stuff that they used over there that I had never heard of. Thing, you know, things like using the hair rig and stuff like that. And I remember that day with him, I don't know what had happened. I think I had pre-baited the spot, but we had a really good day of fishing and I had ended up breaking, I broke my PB common that day, my PB mirror and my PB buff. Oh, and nice. They were all in the, they were all, I think the mirror was like 19 pounds. Mm. And then the, the buff was like 21 and then the carp was 24. So they were all relatively, you say big fish coming from a bass fishing perspective, but not really right, big right. if you're, you know, talking about carp fishing, because we re regularly catch 40 pounders. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just remember that one day him, him walking around taught me a lot and through him, I got into several other carp fishermen that were very you know, accomplished and uh, were willing to help me a lot. Yeah. And another one of those that helped me just immensely is Richard Somerville. Richard, See, I, was, I was waiting on you to say his name because I, I was actually friends with him only through Facebook. Sure. Uh, same thing, but I but I, I knew that he had, I don't know, served some role in, in teaching you a few things, but... Uh, Absolutely. But yeah. So Richard... Um, there's a lot to be said about him for sure. Richard passed away, I think about eight, eight years ago now of pancreatic cancer. Right. And that hit the carp fishing community so hard because he was such a great mentor for so many carp anglers. A well, lot he, of he was pretty instrumental in, in getting Buffalo and carp into some mainstream outlets. I, I remember him, he, he had done work with, uh, in fishermen and some other, and some other groups like that. And at, at especially at that time, I mean, no places were like even looking to entertain the idea of carp and buffalo. So he was kind of like that voice. Um, but I'm sorry, I, th I threw you off track there. But it's like I had to, well, had to it's throw good. that little tidbit in there for sure. Richard, Richard was a great mentor for me, especially. And uh, I wouldn't be doing what I am today without Richard because he's the one who got me into guiding. But mm -hmm. um, him. He was instrumental in putting on the Lake Fort Carp and Buffalo Challenge Tournament. And that really helped to put Lake Fork on the map. I mean, that's ma the main reason I'm guiding there is still just reverberations from that tournament. People are still finding pictures and coming up with my guide service just because of, you know, pictures that were posted 10 years ago now, which is really amazing. Yeah, I, I remember when it was about a decade ago, maybe a little more, when I was really first starting to like entertain this idea of the bigger carp, the bigger buffalo. I mean, I was living out there in Oklahoma, and I was fishing around Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas area. So I knew that I was nearby, but there was a period, and it even really even still today, but especially more so back then, you could not like Google buffalo fishing. 
carp fishing, like American carp fishing, buffalo, whatever. You know, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, that, man, that little, you know, that young guy got a huge one. And then I keep scrolling. Hey, that, that's that same guy. And then I keep scrolling. Hell, there he is again. I'm like, before I knew it, like, you were on like everywhere I turn. And it was like, it, the, the photos are hilarious because you just see this massive fish with just outrageous body proportions, like as, as much girth as they have length, if not more. And then it's just like your head peeking over the top of its shoulders. Can't see the rest of your body. I'm like, this is nuts. But I think it's so interesting that you kind of like, I don't know, you shed light on like the culture of carp fishing that I think is very interesting. And I think maybe some of that is just, it, it sort of contrasts a little bit, not to hate on like American fishing. But I just, I feel like you don't find that level of accommodation or willingness to share trade secrets or willingness to meet up with a total stranger and show them things with the average angler in the United oh, States. Definitely. We're just, we're very much to ourselves. We're very much, this is my spot. This is my secret. This is my whatever. So for for you to have had those resources, I think it's it's interesting, and I also think it's kind of like manifests itself in the way that you guided. And I feel like I and I we can we can backstep if there's things you want to cover, but I just know that like my experience with you going out there with your operation, I was like blown away with how like scientific everything felt because a lot of guys when they think about carp fishing, they don't think of it as it's like you know grungy guys sitting on a on a bucket next to a dam with some corn in the bottom and some cane poles yeah but it's like you had you have like developed and i know we keep saying euro style euro style european style people are probably like well what the hell are they talking about you have these setups and we're talking about rod pods and correct me if i'm wrong because i'm i mean i'm just kind of talking out my rear end here uh, like i have a very shallow level of vision of this stuff but i still look at it with great intrigue because i'm interested in the gear so like the European style fishing that like I've observed out of you is like you, you're out there prepared to be there for days at a time. Definitely. And and I think a lot of guys right off the bat who are more conditioned to fishing the way we fish is like, you know, your day starts in the morning and it might end at the in the evening. But you don't have this depth of vision thinking that we're gonna be out here for five days. And Definitely. it might take it might take three days before we even get the first bite. And that's hard. Like that's it sounds easy and it sounds macho, but it's really, really hard to tap into that mentality. But your gear was like set up to where you do, you can't miss the bites. So it's like exactly. when we say when we say rod pods, I've never been used to laying a rod parallel to the deck. So like you're laying your rods to where the line is going straight out into the water. Whereas That's here a in America, carp fishing specific thing. Right. I don't know. I don't know where the origin of that is, but. I, I definitely think it's like England or yeah. somewhere where they're fishing ponds and stuff. But the main, the main reason for that is you don't want the fish picking your line up and spooking off of it. So the, they say the lower your tips are, the better in some situations. Of course, sometimes you can't do that because a lot of the time current is when I'll have my tips up if the current's really bad. Because if you put it straight down, a log hits it and it'll wipe everything out. So, but you're on mute, David. Oh, okay, good. I can edit that part out. There we go. But yeah, so that that part's interesting to me because you look at any other type of fishing that we do outside of carp, you never really see rods pointing 
out. It's always like, yeah, up, it's, it's up, a weird thing for sure. Up and monitoring the rod tip. It's like the rod tip is like your visual indicator, but like this Euro style, it's the total opposite. It's, you know, the lines are parallel to the ground, but then there's a other means of detecting the bite. That's maybe probably more sensitive in detection. And that's where like the technology comes in and you mentioned the bite alarms. So it's like, that that I thought was so cool, and I have used them for like alligator gar and other things. But I got Definitely. to see it. They're so useful for so many types of fishing. Yeah. I, even saltwater, a lot of people will use them on piers and stuff like that for sharks. It's great sharks and redfish, especially uh, down here in South Texas. I've used my carp setup for redfish. Works excellent. Right, they that's take, funny. They even take some of the same baits. I bet you could catch one on a boilie. Well, I know they work really, really well for the gar because you kind of have to let them run with the bait for a while anyway. Absolutely. So it's like it's almost tailor made for that. But I do recall like the experience like and I hate to say it and it's just a lack of discipline and a lack of experience. But when we got out there and the wind is blowing in our face, the water's just chocolate milk. I mean, we were facing directly into like 30 mile an hour, maybe even got worse at one point. Rain, wind, muddy, chopped up water. I mean, we getting sandblasted. Yeah. And I, and I, it was, and we went, what was it? At least a full, like 12, maybe 24 straight hours with nothing. And I had been there for two days at that point. So I think it was, it was four, four full days of fishing before we got the first bite. But I remember thinking, I was like, you know, internally, I was like, oh man, this, this sucks. Like we're in yeah. the wrong spot. Like yeah, this we is were, no we good. Were, like, it was going through our heads for sure. Yeah. We were we were even packing gear up when we caught the first fish. We were right. thinking, oh man, we're gonna have to move all of this. Well, when you've been there for four days, you can imagine you have a huge setup. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we got tents, we got cooking equipment, we got all the baits you could imagine. Well, your setup, of rods, you know, everything. Yeah, your setup is what really impressed me too. Is like you have like this rolling like this rolling, I don't even know what you call it. It's like a shop, like that trailer that you're pulling behind your truck. And I'm talking exactly. about this thing is filled for those listening. I mean, you just imagine a full like tow behind trailer filled to the top with all kinds of gear to set up shop and be out there for the long haul. Like when you yeah. set up, I guess you just have to really commit and you got to have a level of confidence that's beyond clearly what I had at the time. But I do remember feeling pretty pessimistic about it after that first day passed. And I was at least put at ease to some degree by you, like I, like you were kind of reassuring during the whole process, like, you know, oh, this is normal and, or, or, oh, we've had previous experiences that were, you know, worse, but ended like this. I'm like, okay, well, all right, I guess I can, you know, kind of trust this guy, but it kind of showcased to me that like, that is like a type of fishing where clearly all the gear you have cost you quite a bit of money. You Definitely. do a lot of investing into your spots and that is, conditioning it through the pre-baiting that you're doing that's not cheap i mean you bought all the supplies to basically create i mean we say pre-bait we say baiting the area some people say chumming but you're conditioning the fish to come into that area and it's like the feeding zone so you're spending all this money to buy food that you just dump in the water and And you're spending money to make the fish feed in a spot where they don't necessarily want to feed naturally so you have to really pound it and they may not show up yeah, and, and, and so you're I'm always like, playing with that gamble of, hey, I might zero, I might just catch forty channel cats this time. I might not yeah, catch yeah. any carp or any buffalo in five days, and you know it's very hard 
to, to have to put that gamble, it really does your confidence in when you're sitting there with no fish on the bank after three days. Well, I, after my experience with that, I know that like it is a hell of conditioning for the mentality because you're sitting there just kind of twiddling your thumbs alone exactly. with your thoughts. And it's very hard when you're sitting sort of inanimate watching rods for minutes, turning to hours, turning to days with nothing. It, it's, it's, it's without fail. The negative thoughts start creeping in. And it was really hard for me to keep that at bay. It was clear to me that if I was doing this on my own, I just, at this stage in like fishing, I have not been conditioned to be able to stay like resolute and optimistic through this. But uh, man, it takes a special kind of person to, to have the confidence to, you know, continue to do that for days and days at a time without, yeah. without leaving because, you know, blanking. <laughs> Blanking is hard. And I, I don't care what kind of fishing you're doing. And if you go trip after trip after trip with zeros, you, you don't, you feel like you don't know how to catch fish. Anymore. Yeah. Well, I feel like you really echoed the sentiment that you were describing earlier of the guys that like took their time to sort of educate you. Maybe I'm sure they were patient with you, taught you Definitely. some things and you were passing that on because I, I did feel like you like were really good about making the whole experience that Josh and I had uh like like a learning experience i remember like sitting back and like you were very good about like breaking down everything you were doing why you were doing it how the tools that you're using are going to help us like how to read it so like as far as like your guide service and i want to get into that too like i know those are like attributes and characteristics you have to have to be successful because i was like in the position of the client that has maybe unrealistic expectations and then gets hit with a level of re like reality and then has to be sort of, I don't know, brought back up. I had to like put trust into you and you were really good at like taking that football and like carrying it because when the action did turn on almost the way that you described it, it was some of the most like fantastic stuff I've ever dealt with because like when we brought in, I don't remember what we caught first. I think it was a big common carp, a nice common carp. I say big for you. It might've been average. I don't know. It was like a, Anything over 25 is a good one out here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I loved it, but then, uh, so ultimately, you know, cause we don't, I, you know, people can read about that story. I wrote about it very much in detail on my website, but for sure, we ended up catching, I don't know, over a dozen fish. And I think we calculated, you know, we kept very much track of everything we were catching and out of over a dozen fish, the average total weight was over 40 pounds. So for me to think that we're sitting here in fresh water and our average fish that we're catching is 40 pounds, well, you know, you can't just casually like rattle that off. Say, so, well, you know, another 40 pounder. All right. You know, cool. But we got an average of 40 pounds. We got fish over 50 pounds. And then you ended up pulling that monstrosity fish that was over 60 pounds. Yeah. And I couldn't believe that, like, out of all these years that I've known you, seeing all these photos of you, I get to see it like in picture. I'm like, this dude is the real deal. Like he's really doing this. And I can see like where like the passion comes from, because it's like the rope, like you almost need that sort of like negativity at the beginning to make the successful part, like way sweeter because oh, like sure. to end the trip on that monster fish after we came through like some real crap, horrible weather, horrible, like conditions, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of like negative thoughts creeping in and for it to just get, blasted out of the water by that giant fish was was really awesome but i'm curious like you ended up getting into this guiding thing but then i think okay 
who are the kind of people that are like wanting to come and do this? Because that's a lot to go through. Like you're coming out there and you're going to be there for days. If you want to catch big fish, like just kind of explain to me, like the, like the client base that you're dealing with, are you getting a lot of American anglers or people from different parts of the world? Like what kind of like geographically, what kind of people are coming to fish with you? Man, I've had people from everywhere. Um, lately, at least in the past two years since COVID, I really haven't had a ton of, uh, international clients. I think I've had maybe three or four, but in the past it was all international clients. You know, I, I've been doing this for 10 years now and I started my current guide service in 2014, but I was doing trips as early as 2012. And back then you know, there was a lot more interest in coming over here and doing the Buffalo thing because there were a few cart magazines that wrote about coming to Texas because of guys like Richard Somerville and some of those other people. They published articles about this kind of fishing and some of them got got the memo and wanted to come over here. And uh, I, I fished with people from, I think, 18 different countries now. Oh, Wow. So that is it, cool. It's been very diverse. I I had uh, some some gentlemen from China this past year. That was a new country for me, but you know, all over Europe, France, Italy, uh, a lot from England. Now, are these guys fluent in English? See, or that's, are you... that's a good question because I've <laughs> had some that the trips were very difficult to get through because there was a language barrier, and for the most part, you know. British people, it's very similar to us. You know, right. they call a few things differently, but it's the same English. Now, like I need to go to the loo instead of yeah, I exactly. got to go and take a Sometimes dump. it'll make you laugh too. I, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I like to give them a hard time for sure. But um, definitely like I, I had a client from Italy that was one that was very fluent in English. I did not expect that, honestly. And then I had this other client from Italy that almost didn't speak any English at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were, I don't even think we could communicate an entire sentence in, in the whole, I think we were fishing together for three days. But oh, wow. fishing is just, you know, a universal language. It doesn't matter what culture mm -hmm. you're in, what, what uh, nationality you are everybody has some sort of fishing that they enjoy and we can find common ground on that. And it was just cool, you know, him talking about his gear and even him not even speaking English, I could understand, you know, okay, he's talking about this Shimano reel and this, this rod that's made for carp fishing that's 14 feet long. It's like, you can just pick up on little pieces of, of knowledge that they share with you. Yeah. It ends up working out great. I had another trip. Uh, with some some Dutch guys and that was a really fun trip because they didn't one of them spoke less English than the other one mm -hmm. but they they spoke enough English to get the point across but the funny thing about that trip was they were just mispronouncing everything yeah and it was so <laughs> funny and it, it, I still to this day I make this joke but there was this it you know you, you went to Lake Fork so so you drove around those little county roads well at one of these intersections there used to be a taco stand yeah yeah <laughs> and this place has some fire tacos they're amazing <laughs> so they had seen the taco stand when they were driving in and so i was i i got set up and they showed up and stuff and then it was getting toward lunchtime and the, and they come up to me <laughs> and they're like austin 
we go to get the tacos. Would you like tacos. a taco? <laughs> and I just start dying laughing. And, and they're like, how many tacos? Would you like one or two tacos? And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, almost peeing myself laughing by this point. And I couldn't correct them. So for three days, every time there's a meal time, they're like, we go to get more tacos. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So so to this day, every time I see a taco stand, I'm saying, let's go get some tacos. Well, I always admire just, I, you know. I always admire that about guys who do this, you know, professionally or even as just like supplemental income or anything where you're like taking strangers out to fish with them, like the different kind of like skills you have to have just as far as like ensuring that they're entertained, ensuring that the experience is like something that they like they're being educated. They're being entertained. They're being uh, kept motivated. You got to like you got to battle not only your own pessimism, but you got to work against theirs. And so like uh, you've been kind of like a young guy, I imagine, even at that point in time. That is a tough that's got to be like a tough, you know, most fishing yeah. guides in America are probably just dealing with other Americans. You know, you can talk about like when when the action gets slow, you can probably talk about college football or you can talk about like current events. We can't do any of that with people who aren't from exactly. Here. Yeah, There's you like, got to you got to a... have a whole nother education on just different yeah. conversation topics just to keep talking to these people because right, like, right. You know, you have to find where the common ground is, and thankfully, fishing. You get two fishermen in the room; they're going to find some common ground to talk about. Yeah, and it's probably going to be a very long conversation, so that helps a lot. But. You know, they ask me all sorts of questions and sometimes I don't have the answer to them. They're just like, you know, a, a lot American politics comes up a lot. And I, I prefer not to get into politics, especially on my guide trips. But, you know, the the British love um, asking those type of questions. So so I definitely uh, entertain a few of those. Um, what's another one? Cooking comes up a lot. Oh, that's funny. You know, different ways to cook. Well, things. that was part of the experience of being out there. It's like, Definitely. like I said, we're out there living out there. And like, so like, I mean, how many, how many guys that go out with a guide also have their guide cooking meals for them? Like it was yeah. the whole thing was just such an experience, but, but yeah, that's yeah, true. It's, it's a rare thing. I only know of one or two other guides that do even something similar to what I do with the camping thing. And the mm -hmm. only other guide that I know that does anything remotely similar is Shane Davies. I'm sure you've heard of him. He's a kayak fishing guide on the rivers in Texas. Yeah. The name and he does these rings overnight uh kayaking trips, sometimes for seven, eight days at a time. Oh wow. Yeah. So he's given me a lot of ideas on just, you know, how to go about that kind of stuff, camping and cooking for groups of people and stuff like that. Um he he's always a good resource and man, he can catch them. Yeah. Well I want to like ease into like a completely and totally opposite end of this spectrum because you know i think a lot of times you get marked as like the carp guy or the buffalo guy and it's like For its sure. own it's its own little world of fishing that involves a lot of i didn't i never felt like you were sitting around doing nothing you seem like you were constantly measuring water temperature checking this and that like you were like always like reading the water, like you were very active in that, but it's still a somewhat, you know, I don't know, by nature, it's I looked at like an inanimate style of fishing where it's like you're you're really just sort of casting your luck out there and you're sitting and, and waiting. But the, Definitely, you're, uh, and some the, people treat it as that. 
Yeah. But I don't. I specifically don't. I think that's one thing that sets me apart is I'm it when if I'm on the bank and I'm fishing, I'm always doing something. I can't right. just sit there still. I it is not in my DNA to sit there still and not be doing something. Well, what interests me in you as an angler is that your other skill that people may not be as aware of is you're actually a really, really prolific and even competitive bass angler. Definitely. So it's like you have the, like the total opposite in, you know, you kind of have like this culture of bass anglers who really may even look at carp fishing as like, I don't know. It's like, look down at it. It's like two. Yeah. Some of my really good friends different still worlds. don't look at it as, yeah. you know, something like, to target. A lot of people go bass fishing though, but like I look yeah. at your page and as impressive as your carp and Buffalo catches are your bass that you're pulling are of the same caliber. Like you're holding these giant monster, massive bass. I know that you fished in like, uh, I mean, tell me a little bit about like some of your experience there. Cause I know you fished like collegiate bass tournaments and things Definitely. like that. So just kind of give me a picture of, of like where you're at with like your bass fishing passion. Cause I don't want to make this all about carp. There's a lot more Definitely. layers. Yeah, to There's, there's a lot more to me. I'm a very multi-species guy. I don't yeah. fish for carp even all year. I, I fish for everything that swims in my waters and the bass. I I've been a bass fisherman for a very long time. My grandpa got me into bass fishing when I was barely able to hold a rod. Basically. Um, he fished a lot of tournaments back in the eighties and nineties, which was kind of the boom of bass fishing here in Texas. And he fished some of these lakes that I'm fishing now when they were first impounded, like he fished Lake Fort when there were leaves still on all those trees out there. Mm. And oh, when wow. there was no boat lane, you could just run the river channel because you could see the trees on both sides. So through him getting me into it, I was a very passionate bass fisherman at a really young age. And I remember them saying at 10 years old that I was going to be an elite series pro someday, just because I was already casting a bait caster. You know, I was shown up to a pond with like 10 rods yeah, yeah. and like this big tackle box that I could barely hold. And, uh, <laughs> I grew up in an area with a lot of ponds. So I would pond hop. I'd sometimes go to five, six different ponds in a day with some of my friends. And I kind of grew up around that scene. And then when I got to high school, I just got so into the carp fishing that I kind of put bass fishing on the back burner, mm -hmm. so to speak. But so junior year comes and I'm starting to look at what colleges I'm going to go to. And Junior year of high school, sophomore, junior year is about when I caught my junior world record Buffalo, which we'll end up talking about later, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But when that happened, I kind of started to think of, hey, I'm going to go to college. I might need to go to college somewhere where the fishing is good so I can just right. continue, <laughs> you know, yeah. continue this street. So I start looking at schools and uh, I eventually stumbled onto Stephen F. Austin, which is a school in East Texas. And it's it's in deep East Texas, almost in Louisiana. And if you're not very fam familiar with the state of Texas, it is extremely diverse. You know, we have deserts, we have grasslands, but also we have an area of Texas that's almost like a rainforest. It yeah, yeah. is very tropical. It rains a lot. We have gigantic pine trees that are, you know, sometimes 10 feet around or 15 feet around. And that area of Texas has some amazing fishing. And that's where I ended up going to college. So through my college search, I figured out SFA 
I had heard about for years that they were a big player in the, co- the collegiate bass fishing. And I started this kind of dream that, hey, I want to get into the collegiate bass fishing because since I was a little kid, I had dreams of being a professional fisherman. I don't care right. what kind of fishing I'm going to get myself into. I'm going to get there eventually. But so I get on, I, I get to my senior year, I graduate from Cockle High School in Dallas and I move out to SFA. And I joined the bass team in, in that process. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I learned a lot of things about collegiate bass fishing. And I know a lot more now than I would have known back then. And I think if I had fished in high school, it would be a different, I, I wouldn't have ended up where I am right now because I don't know if high school fishing is as big in your area as it is out here. But some of these high school tournaments we have out here are getting like 500 boats now i i I think that that's definitely bigger in texas but you've definitely got a scene out here in florida as well yeah so high school fishing's big around the whole country and it was just barely at its infancy when i was in high school i graduated in 2014 but there wasn't a team at my high school i knew people that had competed in the past Mm -hmm. but since there wasn't a team at my high school i was just kind of you know, I didn't want to go through the whole process of starting a team and doing that, but I was still fishing tournaments on my own. And I actually used to fish kayak tournaments quite a bit in the Dallas area. So I had that competitive side a little bit and I wanted to try it more. So I got into the college fishing and man, I just fell in love with that competitive side, uh, getting the, the early morning tournament, uh, mentality, like, sitting there waiting for your boat number to be called like the whole uh anticipation of what's going to happen during the day that just struck me yeah yeah and uh to this day i fish a lot of tournaments i'm probably never going to stop doing that but uh through that i basically just continued getting better and better and better as an angler in trying to you know we would have these circuit tournaments that were kind of only our club And I went from winning those to my last college tournament. I ended up placing third in the national championship. And we could have, we could have won that tournament. We really could have, but um, it, I'll never forget that experience getting all the way to the top. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, top three finish in anything that big is. And it makes me want to go to the next level if I can. So yeah. I, I've gotten very scientific in my bass fishing. That's, and you know, that's, there's uh... a lot of resources out there. But the interesting thing is with as as much as I've gotten into bass fishing, it's at the level now where everything is starting to overlap. And like I'm taking things from my carp fishing and putting it into bass fishing. And I'm yeah. taking <laughs> bass fishing, putting it into the carp fishing. And it's making me better as an angler. Well, that's got to be an edge nobody else has. Exactly. I have to be the only person out there doing stuff like that. Yeah. I have one really good example that I figured out last week. So (laughs) I was out carp fishing. This is so random. But I threw my rod out, and I'm fishing with a pop-up boilie about that far off the bottom. And I sprayed a flavoring on it that I know through carp fishing, it's like, some chemical inside this flavoring makes it good in mm-hmm. uh in cold water like really cold water like 
the water temp is probably in the 40s. Right? Don't give you don't give your like, secrets away now. I'm not gonna give away. Yeah, I know you're smarter secret. than that. Yeah. <laughs> but so us carp anglers will use alcohol-based flavors when the water's cold. Like mm. alcohol, something about the way the alcohol disperses in the water is better than like some of these other blends of uh esters and stuff that they put in these flavors. Well. I caught a, about a four pound bass on that pop-up boilie sitting out there on the bottom with just that flavor. Oh, what the heck? I was like, you know, <laughs> that made me think. So I took that same flavor and put it in some plastic worms and man, I caught the heck out of it. That's hilarious. So it's, it's so, amazing yeah, how you the stumble carpet, across. The carp flavors will work for the bass. Yeah. That's, you know, just one example of it, but. I could take tips all day from that, from one and apply it to the other and it'll See, just continue to get That is such a fascinating, like dynamic to, uh, to what you're doing to me. Like this, cause it seems like such a stark contrast that just aren't even comparable, Absolutely. aren't even on the same like wavelength. And yet you're still able to like tie the two together. That Definitely. just seems so different, so far apart. Um, another thing that I saw on your page that I always thought, you know, I, I like, like, humble people or like you know folks that aren't always just looking to see what they can get out of fishing like what can fishing do for me how can i benefit from this fishing like what like what what can this do to help like me out and and not so many people looking to like invest in the pastime and 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 make fishing be the focus point like how can i build up the sport how can i build up the next generation how can i preserve the sport but i i've seen that you've been active in this thing called camp bass tell me a little bit about that like what does that entail is that is this like a youth fishing thing like i want to know like your role in in that scene because i i think that sounds so interesting to me definitely so camp bass is one of the things i've helped with for years um because it had such an impact on me as a kid i was actually a camper so okay they have this this camp every year at lake fork and um basically you pay the entry fee which is I think about $500 now. It used to be less, but, uh, you know, as everything's gone up, it's gone up, which is an amazing deal when you consider what you're getting for the camp. So it's for kids, I think it's like 12 to 18 can go to this camp. So middle school, high school age kids, and you have to be serious about bass fishing. You have to be, you know, they go through this whole application process and you actually have to write a little essay to get into the camp but so what happens is it's a week-long summer camp and a bunch of guides on lake fork lake fork has a huge you know world-renowned bass fishing scene and it has mm -hmm. a lot of guides there is a huge economic area of guiding in that probably bigger than any other lake that i know of there are hundreds of guides on lake fork yeah, And a lot of these guides will come and donate their time. They don't ask for a dime for this camp. And each day they'll take two campers, two of these young kids, and they'll usually pair them by age group and skill level. And they'll get to fish with a guide for free for four different days at Lake Fork, fishing for, you know, some of the biggest bass out there. And also they get to go and, go on different trips that are like learning about the fishing industry in the area. So they get to go to 
a uh, hand-built rod shop and they actually learn how to build a rod and they get to take the rod home at the end of the week oh that's awesome so that's really cool and then um they get to go to a really big rod company that has a supply warehouse around here and learn about how mass-produced fishing rods are made that's dobbins rods and you know they're great they they sell those everywhere but we actually get to go to the actual factory they're made at and see the whole process there and then they get to go to a fishing like soft plastics uh manufacturer that's in emory they actually get to see how baits are made how the soft plastic is extruded into the molds and then it cools down they actually get to take them out of the molds and take the baits with them oh that's cool sometimes so this is like with 10 15 pounds of baits from this place each camper so they just you know they they get this absolute crash course into being a serious bass fisherman and some of these kids that have gone to this camp have gone on onto the pro level yeah yeah because it's made such a huge impact on them from being that young now so that's when awesome. i was i think 16 years old i went to the camp at lake fork and man i had such a great time i ended up catching the biggest bass that was caught at the camp during that session and whoever catches the biggest one over the slot, because Lake Fork's a slot lake. So basically in a tournament or in in that kind of situation where you're keeping a fish in your live well, it has to be over 24 inches or under 16 inches. So okay. If any kid catches one over the slot, they're in contention to win the big bass award, which you get a free replica. And I actually won the replica when I was a camper. And I still have it hanging on my wall. I oh, mean, that's so I am, cool. I I uh, definitely had a huge, a huge impact was made on me when I went to that camp. And because of that, I go back and help every single year. I've gone back six years in a row now to help. And I actually will bring my bass boat down and I'm one of the guides now, as well <laughs> as sometimes I'll shuttle the kids around to go to like the rod shop and stuff like that. And also... Some of these kids have just become some of my best friends. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I'll fish with them throughout the year, not just during camp. So I just love to go back just because of the relationships that I make at this camp. And just seeing it through their eyes, seeing fishing through like that younger perspective is such a cool thing to me. Like seeing them, you know, catch their first four pounder or something, catch their first bass even you just see moments like that that you know are going to stick with a kid for their whole life and that's just so inspiring for me it makes me want to do it every year yeah that's cool because i know a lot of people it's like you know you you don't get into fishing unless your dad brings you into it exactly. or your brothers some or of your these grandpa kids don't have they that don't have person. it yeah so it's it's real networking for for some of these kids and yeah. learning other kids that are about their age level that do you know fish seriously like that yeah. Well, the fact that you're going out of your way to like be involved in like, it sounds like you got a lot out of that experience, but like, Absolutely. again, the fact that you've, you've doubled back and you're, you're kind of paying it forward. I mean, I think it speaks to your character. I think it, it just kind of, again, solidifies the idea that if somebody's going to be a steward of bass fishing, a steward of carp fishing, it just makes sense that somebody of, of, of that DNA or that frame of mind would, would be the guy. And so, it all just makes sense to me, but, uh, yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. Um, I know we're getting a little short for a lot of fun. Yeah. I know we're getting a little short for time though. 
And uh, but I would I want to make sure that we like cover this because there are people out there who I want them to see the photos that we've described, and I think they'll have a hard time seeing those photos without being like, okay, that's amazing. How can I do this? And I I have long since been like the guy that said Austin Anderson is the best. And you may not even want that kind of attention, but it's like, <laughs> I'll say it. But I want, um, just like, you know, anybody that's interested in finding you on social media, maybe they got some extra que uh, questions that weren't answered during this podcast, or maybe they're interested in potentially booking a guide trip. Um, where can they find you for your guide page, your just basic social media page, the bass, the carp, the buffalo, those things? How, how can people find you? Sure. So my guide service is called Carp Pro Texas Guide Service. My website is carprotexasguideservice.com. And uh, you can find me on social media. I'm on Instagram as Texas Carp Guide and Pond Bass. I keep my carp fishing and my bass fishing separate on my accounts. And then on my Facebook, my regular Facebook is just facebook.com slash pond bass. And I have a, a Facebook page for my guide service as well. You can just look up Carp Pro Texas Guide Service and go right there. Shoot me a message and I'll be happy to answer any questions you have, or you can book a trip uh, just by sending me an email or shooting me a message. Right. Well, I, I, I can speak firsthand that it was a, it was probably one of the coolest experiences that I've had. And, and I know others would, would probably say the same. Um, I look forward to seeing the fish that you're inevitably going to start putting up. Um, yeah, it's not going to be long. I'm definitely going to start putting up some photos from last year just to get interest coming up again. Yeah, I've yeah. got, March is almost completely booked already and April's filling up quick and March and April are our two best months. So I would definitely say if you know anyone that wants to get a trip in in the best time of the year, definitely get it, get it booked quick because they're going to fill up. Yeah. Well, I know it's, but I I'm, can, I can speak from experience. It's a very uh, unique um, experience going out there and, and being with you from, from a guy who's got a very interesting dichotomy as an angler. Um, so I couldn't recommend, I couldn't recommend it enough. I'd love to get back out there and, and do it again. Cause that was, Definitely. that was really, really awesome. But yeah, uh, and I'm playing with some new things. I'm uh, I, right now I'm trying to figure out the best way to carp fish off my new bass boat. Mm. And once I figure that out, I'm going to be doing some guide trips off the boat as well. And that, you know, that's going to open up a whole new possibility because this is, 99% of carp fishing is done from the bank because it's just so hard to see your bite indications from right. a moving platform like that. So once I figure that out, you know, we'll be able to fish anywhere basically. And while that may not work for, you know, days at a time being on a little cramped space, that would work more for like the day fishing crowd that just wants to go out you know, may not want to get their feet muddy, but they want to catch a giant buffalo. Well, it's something wow. I know everybody would enjoy experiencing. I, I know I, one, one thing that was kind of impactful to me being out there at Lake Fork, which is widely considered one of, if not the best bass fishing lake in the country. And that was evident in all of the bass boats that were coming into and out of the area that we had baited. I mean, there was bass fishermen everywhere. And I just thought it was yeah. so interesting that unbeknown to these guys, these monstrous, giant, incredible fish are all underneath where they're yeah, looking. Yeah, they're all right. down there, and they're seeing them on their graphs, and they just yeah. don't know what they are. Right. They're <laughs> like, that's a giant bass. Man, that thing's five foot long. Well, I think that that is a really good case-in-point lake that sort of... Um, Absolutely. I mean, Fork, 
four. This is a really good statistic that I don't think I told you before when you were here. Yeah. Is 17 of the top 25 largemouth bass caught in Texas were caught from Lake Fork. Oh, wow. So, I mean, those are all fish over 16 pounds. And the state record came from Lake Fork, 18.18 pounds. And Fork has got phenomenal carp and buffalo fishing. So, you say that that in some way is negatively impacting the bass fishing, that argument goes completely out the window for Lake Fork. I thought that They're that just, was such a it's such a good selling point that location absolutely. that uh, that that ironically the fish that should be so destructive and have been there for quite some time if if, if I'm not mistaken they were, they were there before the bass were there now they, that is amazing they dammed yeah. that creek the the creek that Lake Fork is built on flows into the Sabine River yeah so all the fish communities that were in the Sabine ended up in that lake and the, the carp and buffalo stocks that started in that lake came from, from that initial stocking. And then we've figured out there's another really interesting phenomenon that's happened at Lake Fork because of the bass fishing that's created a excellent carp fishing opportunity that really you don't have anywhere else in texas as far as catching mirror carp so lake fork has these mirror carp that back in i think 1994 they were used as bait for bass they actually used to sell them in the bait shops as these live baits that were like eight to ten inches long and they made it illegal and i've heard there's records of them dumping the stalks of these carp into the lake and so some of these mirror carp have grown up and they still live in Lake Fork and they're in the same areas that they were released from. Right. So I've actually been able to catch some of these mirrors and they just look absurd. They don't look anything like our wild carp. You can tell they're definitely from somewhere else. We call them Israeli. But yeah, they, they got look, that weird frumpy body going yeah, on. Yeah, they, you know, they're short and round. They're, yeah. You know, they'll have a round back. They look very different than most carp. But we've got these Israelis in Lake Fork, and some of them are over 30 pounds, and I bet you there's some over 40 pounds in there, and just nobody's caught one yet. But that's a direct result of people using them as bass bait. Yeah. They wouldn't be there otherwise. I just think it's hilarious. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, if anybody's going to end up pulling one, I'm sure it's probably going to be somebody like you. I was surprised this year. Man, I think I had over 50 trips to Lake Fork. And we never caught a mirror. Oh, that is interesting. We never did. We had two 60-pound buffalo. I can't tell you how many 50s. I think I think we had 11 or 12 50s this year. That's unbelievable. And then over 40 fish over 40 pounds total, mm-hmm. which is the best year I've ever had. I'm, I hope to have half of that this year. Just last year was the most incredible year I've had for guiding. Well, I know you've made a lot of people's year, a lot of people's day a lot of people's year a lot of something and some people's lifetime putting them on those fish so that's really awesome but definitely uh, over 50 pbs broken this past year that's so cool which is just crazy i mean some of them multiple species including mine yeah definitely you were on the list josh dolan (laughs) was on the list all sorts of people that was a cool one really cool we've had even some igfa record submissions We've had some lake record submissions. I mean, it's it's been great. I really hope that the fishing is as good this year as it was last year. 
Um, I, I have a feeling it's going to be, and I'm through doing this many trips, I've gotten very refined and I've mm-hmm. learned, you know, what areas to target at the right time and what baits to use at the right time. I'm just excited for this year. I think it's going to be excellent. I know exactly where I need to be when. So what yeah. I should say. Well, I can't wait to see it. But uh, anyway, Austin, I appreciate having you on here. We'll have to do this again sometime for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely, and we'll talk be talking for hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that that's been great. Um, that's it's a topic that I'm really fascinated by, and I think it's a culture of fishing that's just it's just. It's a matter of time before it opens up because definitely uh, I've seen a lot more interest lately, especially with, you know, people making a lot of YouTube videos and TikTok videos and stuff like that. I think we're just at the edge of carp fishing becoming mainstream. Yeah, I would agree. Yep. Well, anyway, we'll have to bring you on here some uh, some other time. Maybe we get into uh, going after them on artificials and uh, on flies, but we'll have to we'll have to save that for another time because there's a lot more different ways to to catch them that we just simply didn't have time to cover. But sure. uh, anyway, Austin, I appreciate your time, man. You too. It was great talking to you. All right, dude. We'll catch you around. Thank you for listening to the Boundless Pursuit podcast. If you enjoyed this show, your feedback, comments, and reviews are very important to me. Also, this podcast is just one element to a much bigger content outlet. I urge you to head over to www.haverodswheeltravel.com where you'll find audio, visual, and written editorial content. That is three dimensions of awesome fishing content brought to you by a very dynamic team of anglers. I hope that you'll tune in next week as we continue to build this program and have interesting and skilled anglers each Thursday. Thank you for listening.